Welcome to this Wealth Track webcast. I'm Consuelo Mack. What to make of the market in 2019? Well, who better to consult than a great investor with over 50 years of experience and a 30-year track record of edging out the S&P 500 with less than market volatility? We have an exclusive interview with Hirsch Cohen, co-chief investment officer at Clearbridge Investments and a portfolio manager overseeing numerous private portfolios and retirement funds, including the firm's dividend strategies. Hirsch is famous for his 30-year tenure at the Clearbridge Appreciation Fund and more recently Clearbridge Dividend Strategy Fund. He's retired from both, leaving them in the capable hands of his longtime co-manager and now co-CIO, Scott Glasser. We've interviewed Hirsch Cohen numerous times exclusively on WealthTrack over the years, and you can access those interviews on WealthTrack.com. Of particular interest is the 2017 interview discussing his trademark dividend compounders strategy. We caught up with him for this WealthTrack exclusive. Hirsch, put this market into perspective for us. We've got a new year, volatile markets, the Fed is normalizing interest rates, an unconventional president split government now, trade tensions. Put it into perspective. I think the market really dislikes, historically really dislikes uncertainty. And I think what we had in December, November and December was a great deal of uncertainty. And so coming into this year, um, it was it was my view that, our view at Clearbridge, that you needed uh, two things. Um, you needed some clarity on Fed policy and you needed clarity on the uh, on the trade uh, on tariffs and trade, um, it would appear that uh, we now have some clarity on the Fed policy. They they have paid attention to various signs of of weakness in the uh, economy, early signs of weakness, lumber prices, oil prices, uh, uh, home sales, car sales. So, and the Fed has has definitely changed its tune from talking about a series of uh, automatic raises. So that, that I think, is one factor that's, that, that's uh, probably uh, responsible for a good part of the, the recovery in January. The second part, uh, the trade issue, uh, I, I think you're starting to hear good soundings about it out of uh, both Washington and China. Uh, I think that if, if it does get resolved favorably, I think the market will have Lots of upside, and Abe will be able to resume its uh, its bull market. I think if if things fall apart, um, if uh, the U.S. walks away or China walks away, uh, then I think um, I think you have to um, be very wary. And uh, why do I say this? If you look back to the 1930s, uh, there were two factors that I think two factors, and I think um, uh, most economists would agree, two factors that led to that turned a Recession into the Great Depression. One was a Fed tightening, um, and and second were the Smoot-Hawley tariffs, which shut down world trade. And so, what do we have? What did we have in December that people were feared? We feared a Fed tightening, and we feared a trade war. And um, so, I, I think maybe maybe it would be an exaggeration to say it would have replicated the uh, the depression, but certainly was not good news. So, I think that the the market. Is uh, is is seeking clarity. Doesn't like uncertainty. Probably has more clarity on interest rates and is seeking clarity and maybe starting to hope that they get uh, that it gets some on China. So I don't I don't feel that the market going into November and December was egregiously overpriced. 
Um, there were some areas where where things were a little expensive, but it wasn't as if the whole market was like like uh, 1999. So no, no, that's interesting that you're saying that you did not think it was egregiously overpriced, and you're speaking as a value yeah, no, it investor. It was hard to find mm-hmm. things that looked cheap, but it wasn't also not. It was also kind of hard to find things that were were very overpriced. Um, and the the, the uh, you took a market that started to worry about uh, when when uh, the president started calling out the Fed. I mean that that that's a terrible terrible thing to do is challenging the independence of the Fed, and the market didn't like that. And there's a lot of things that led. And then tax selling kicked in. There was a uh, a huge amount of tax selling. And then the uh, um, the program trading and the uh, algorithmic trading all all um, uh, um, worked in concert to to take the market down really sharply and um it it took so it took a market that hadn't really been overpriced in the beginning but was not offering great values to a market that got really really pretty uh pretty washed out and a lot and it's interesting the stocks that have recovered the most are some of the areas that were beaten down the most by tax selling so energy um i, I think the financials are probably uh, getting ready to uh, do better. But I, I think the point is the things that are doing the best here are not necessarily the ones that were last year's early leaders, but are, are the things that got hit the most by uh, tax selling. So so this is a market that, that went from kind of reasonably priced with 3% interest rates to very probably underpriced at uh, at, at Two and three quarter percent ten year treasuries. That's it's created some opportunities uh, for you. Do you think, as and for investors in general, definitely has created uh-huh. opportunities. Absolutely. And uh, uh, Scott Glasser, who uh, manages the appreciation fund, and also um, was my partner for a long time in the dividend fund. Uh, I believe feels the same way. So I know uh, we both did a lot of buying in the uh, end of December, early January. Right. And you know it, we've been talking about macro. Uh, aspects to the market and the fact that the market is seem to be seems to be very attuned to uh you know the president fed policy to or what the president says about fed policy i should say certainly what the fed is doing and do do you get a sense that there's confidence uh in the fed at this point under Jerome Powell and that uh, that they are going to be you know cautious and they're you know they're not going to do what the Fed did in the 1930s, which is um, over tighten. The empirical evidence is the market reacts positively when uh, reacted very positively once the once the Fed backtracked from this thing. It's interesting. The minutes of the Fed in December, from what I read, were much different from what the sp- the speech came out by Powell. So um, he did not give uh, apparently did not give. Um, uh, uh, lip service to kind of what the what the Fed was saying about the uncertainties in December. So I, I listen. The Fed, yeah, I think so. I was a little disturbed by that. Six members of the Fed of the Fed in December said, uh, or in in, in uh, his speech in late December, uh, I was disturbed by that. Six of them said there should be three rate increases next year. Well, why would you say that in advance? I mean, there are still so many to me obvious signs of of hesitancy in this in this economy. In, in even weakness. So, uh, does does the market have confidence? Uh, I would say it's not on the same level that it had in Volcker. But um, I, I, what's the choice? I mean, what's the choice? Right. So, and and talk about uh, the economy, Hirsch, uh, as far as you know, the, the fundamentals of I mean, how business is doing, business confidence, 
consumer confidence. I mean, what what are you what are you looking at? And obviously, earnings, which you know drive stock prices. We have a terrific um, sort of economist strategist named Jeff Schultze who. Uh, he keeps a, a dashboard of, of things that uh, would, would warn of a recession. And until maybe a week ago or two weeks ago, there were all 12, all 12 things that he keeps were, were fine. Um, he came into me this week and said three of them had turned cautious. So that's still it's not pointing to a recession, but it's just saying, listen, the economy definitely has some signs of things that we have to keep an eye on. And I, uh, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with that. I mean, I'm not an economist. I have a pretty good feel at extremes. Um, right. I, 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 and, and but um, I, I, I'm not call. Listen, it, it's so much depends. An if-then situation, and I wrote that in the annual in my year-end letter too. If if we get the if the Fed um, is reasonable, which they are being, if we get the China um, uh, tariff thing settled in in an amicable way that works for the benefit of both countries, then we avoid a worldwide slowdown. Then you have a uh, uh, you avoid a recession, but if you, you uh, the companies we talk to, they're complaining about um, increased costs from the tariffs, supply chain disruptions, um, order uh, order slowdowns because people are unsure. So maybe there was a speed up of orders to try to beat the tariffs, and you borrowed from this year. So I mean, there's so many factors going on, and that's why it's it's absolutely critical to get this tariff thing said. I, that's been my number one concern for well over a year and a half, and I. Uh, I, I, I maintain that as the number one issue. You are known uh, for investing in companies with great balance sheets and growing dividends. Uh, you call them you know, your compounders. Uh, one of the most popular features on WealthTrack it, since it's 50, in its 15-year existence has been your uh, Hearst's dividend compounders list. So does investing in companies, and these are large-cap companies, pretty well-known, with great balance sheets and dividend growers, does that still make sense as a strategy, uh, even with the uncertainty that we're seeing in the markets? Okay, it depends. I'll say this: it depends on what your um, risk tolerance, time frame, um, uh, goals are in terms of stocks. So it is clear to me that some of the great dividend payers, um, like Procter and Gamble and Kimberly Clark. Um, and Colgate, it, 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 it's clear that the growth is very different, and the food companies, very clear that the growth is very hard to come by from these for these companies. However, right. uh, my guess is they will that the, the dividends are are very are, are very uh, uh, good relative to um, uh, uh, risk-free alternatives. The dividends are good. The dividends will continue to be uh, raised. At, we we hope at at and but at much smaller increments than they used to be. So. The answer is if you, but if you're looking for high growth, I mean these are not the high momentum stocks. There are many dividend companies which are having very explosive growth now. Things like you know Raytheon or um, you know Merck in the in the in the drug sector. But overall, overall dividend growth is a. I think I think dividend growth is a terrific uh, core for people. Uh, different a a a great core concept for people to own. And then around that, you can build your other things. Then you can own your biotechs and you can own your uh, your, your uh, high-tech companies that don't pay a dividend. But it just seems to me that you have to balance these things. I've always liked a really hardcore of the of the great dividend payers, and so I'm not as concerned now. It depends if you're what what age you are and what your goals are. Um, 
do I think the dividend growers make sense for any age? Yes, but I think maybe you would put less of an allocation for people in their 20s and 30s to the extent they can save than 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 they would have the the higher growers would have come to be called momentum stocks. Um, so I think it's a balance. You know, I look dividends are going to be great. Dividends are going to be great 50 years from now. They were great 50 years ago. In between, uh, you you have these periods when they fall out of favor. Um, but uh, I think I think it it has been discovered by investors that dividends are a, a great way to uh, to prepare for for saving and retirement. So yeah, I think I think they're great. Um, are they as attractive as when uh, when uh, when you had blue chip companies paying four and five and and percent and greater back in 2009 and 2010? Not as attractive, but um, this uh, th- there will be a small compounding effect for the more conservative ones, maybe a larger compounding effect for some of the other ones. I mean, you have big companies that have raised their dividends by 10, 15%. You had compound dividend growth. Uh, you had dividend growth of, of two years ago, 13% for the uh, uh, for, for these big stocks. That's terrific. It's going to slow because earnings will slow, are likely to slow. Um, and uh, I, I think that's so that's my answer. You are a warrior, and so are are you more or less worried now than you know than you were, let's say, a, a couple of years ago. I mean, just put your worry uh, meter into perspective. You're more worried, and be and because because of uh, the fear of uh, the fear of tariffs, because the political situation okay. is so unbelievably divisive. You know, a government shutdown is symptomatic of how can there be 50 people on one side of the aisle who all think the same and 50 people on the other side who all think the same and the opposite? You, there's no, where are the states, where are the statesmen and women? It's not, you know, you think about 50 years ago and you had Tip O'Neill and Everett Dirksen and, and uh, uh, Jack Kennedy, and they, they would get together. Lyndon Johnson would lock the door and give them coffee until, uh, uh, until he, they wouldn't let him out of the room to, to, to go to the bathroom until they reached an agreement. Where, where's the agreements now, you know? So. I'm more worried. Listen, this uh, Larry Furtig, who was the syndicated columnist for the Scripps Howard newspapers in the '40s, was a was a dear friend of mine. He's much older, and and uh, we used to play tennis back in the 1970s. And and I remember in 1974, he would say to me, Hirsch, I'm buying this. I'm said, Larry, how can you buy this? Look how bad the world is. He says, Hirsch, I've been doing this since the 1920s. There's always something to worry about. So yeah, there's always something to worry about. Here's the question. Has the market discounted at all? And I think at the end of December, the market had discounted uh, some pretty bad stuff. Um, the higher you go without any resolution of things, then you, get, you should get more worried. A couple more questions. One, as you mentioned, the algorithmic trading. Uh, we have really a critical mass of you know several trillion dollars now in index funds. Are, are you seeing any impact on in periods of volatility, uh, the market being tested with these these computer programs you scratch your head until you realize what's going on you scratch your head at the uh, at the moves the sudden moves and and, uh, and I'm watching the market uh, you know minute by minute and just not that I, I invest right. that way but it's just you know that's the addiction that uh, that I suffer from is to uh, this stuff and when I see the moves and after a while you start to see well yeah the market's up yeah they'll come in and they'll knock it down here and it means nothing it means nothing except what it does is upset people and so it just I don't know. I've been in I've been in favor of like a penny a share transfer, something to slow this down so that you don't scare the daylights out of people. Do you think that? Uh, but do fundamentals still seem to matter? I guess that's what I'm driving at, as opposed to momentum. 
yeah. but not day to day, not week to week. But great companies will um, the, the fundamentals will, will will matter a great deal of going going forward, and always have and always will. I I, I think for the average for the average investor. I think you shouldn't be watching it every day like I do. It just it just makes you crazy. And and uh, what's the point? So the point is you 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 look for periods of market weakness. Uh, there's one of two ways to do it. You look for periods of severe market weakness. You hold your breath and you buy some stocks and you hold them for long periods of time, or you dollar cost average. That way you ignore all this stuff and and you ignore all these uh, short term things. But if you um, Look how many funds, look how many people and funds didn't make money last year, lost money. It's very hard to uh, to compete against these these short term, uh, these very very short term moves. And and so yes, it exacerbates the moves, exaggerates the moves. But um, for the average person, you know, look for the opportunities in that. Final question. You know, we always ask our guests uh, at the end of every interview for WealthTrack, if there's one investment we should all own some of in a long-term diversified portfolio, where's the opportunity for a for a long-term investor in the market? What what would you pick? I think a diversified okay. portfolio of of dividend growers makes a lot of sense. That in 2009, and I would set it in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 4. I, I still I still believe it, and um, I, I just think. I think it's a good way to do it. I think, you know, I, I think the move from active to passive um, is has become very popular. But I think, you know, I think active, there are active funds that do a really good job. And here's the key. I think, Consuelo, sometimes um, there are active funds that I know the appreciation fund, for example, I'm mentioning it, that, that, that Scott runs and I ran for many years with him. Um, People tend to stay on the train. They're, they're, you know, Morningstar has done these studies, and I, I, I'm not current on it, but there are funds that knock the lights out sometimes, but that people don't make the money that the fund says it does because they get scared in or scared out. And, and right. whereas you want a fund that I think, to me, a fund that's steady and protects a little on the downside and, and, and you know, keeps, keeps reasonable pace on the upside, that's a good, those are good places to be. So you want to stay on the train. I think the crit- I know that a lot of people say, "Oh, that's really stupid. That's in the past." You know, equities. You, they don't. They don't have the same future as they do. Well, you know, I wouldn't bet on that. I think, uh, you know, companies uh, do the right things to um, to earn the adequate return on equity to keep this thing going. And so, you know, they have tougher times. They have less tougher times. I think right now, because of the tariffs and the trade thing, is a little tougher time. But you know, we're going to work through this. It would be a list. It would be a list of dividend growers, and I would refer. I would refer investors to a list that was uh, that was given many years ago on this on this very show. Great, and we will have it on our website wealthtrack.com, which is uh, under Hirsch's dividend compounders list, and we'll update it for our audience as well. So, Hirsch Cohen, so great to have you on Wealthtrack. Thanks so much for updating us on your current market thinking and also investment strategies. We really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Nice to be back, Consuelo. Thank you very much. 